Anyways, we're going to be in Philippians. I'm going to go ahead and jump right in and not talk to you too much at the beginning since uh, we're, we're getting past 10, but we'll be in Philippians chapter 3, and um, this is a, a really encouraging uh, section, and it's also a very convicting section. Paul's writing to the, the Philippian church, the church at Philippi, and um, we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 3. Like I said, I've, I've titled this The Treasure of the Life That Counts. If you like to write the names of uh, the lessons that are being taught to you. But The Treasure of the Life That Counts. So we're, again, Philippians 3, starting at verse 1. I'm just going to jump right in. It says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse four, though I myself have, no, have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, surp the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Would you pray with me before we hop in? Father, we ask for your help of our own will and power and flesh. We, we have nothing. We bring nothing to the table. So, Lord, we, we need you, and uh, everything that we have is from you. So, Lord, we, we want understanding this morning. We, we want wisdom. We want the mind of Christ. We want more grace, more mercy. We, we want peace. We're asking for your blessing this morning. So would these people receive that as I speak from your word and, and your truth? And it's in your name I pray. All right. Well, the big idea I have for this morning is that God wants to raise up men and women in his church whose lives count for his glory. And that word count isn't a, a word that I've made up. It's from our text. Again, the, the big idea is that God wants to raise up men and women in his church whose lives count for his glory. And you'll notice that throughout this chapter, the word count is used three times. We're going to look at some different characteristics of men and women whose lives have counted for the glory of Christ over the landscape of human history. And if we want our lives to count for the glory of Christ, we're going to see that our lives have to line up with some certain things. Here's one of the first things for the, of the person whose life counts for the glory of God. They treasure Christ above everything that this world has to offer. That's the first thing. The, the person whose life counts for the glory of God, their life, in, in their life, they treasure Christ above everything that the world has to offer. And what Paul does from the start 
is he addresses a problem in the church that had been caused by a group of Judaizers. And I don't want to pretend like you guys don't know information, but if you don't know anything about the the Judaizers, they were people who claimed to be Christians, but they actually weren't. They would see all the Gentiles learning about Jesus for the first time, and they would tell them that there were all these things that they had to do in addition to the gospel of Christ to be saved. If you're not a Jew and you want to become a Christian, then you're going to have to get circumcised. That was one of the things they said. If you're not a Jew and you want to become saved, then you've got to follow all of these laws and regulations on food was another thing that they added to the gospel of Christ. And as a result, they would pull out these lists of things that Gentiles would have to do in order to come to know Christ. It was a hindrance for them from knowing Jesus and Christ alone as the gospel. And as a result, they hindered the entire advancement of the gospel throughout the Gentile world because they were were masking the truth of what Paul was teaching. And so Paul uses some really really fierce terms in the text. I don't know if you noticed it. He says in verse two, watch out for these dogs. And there's some irony there because Jews referred to Gentile sinners as dogs. The Jews who, who didn't want the Gentiles to become believers referred to them as outcasts, as dogs, as the lowest of the low. They weren't even, you know, people. They weren't even human. They were, they were dogs, and you, um, he uses another term, it's mutilators of the flesh. And that's not a very kind term to call somebody, but that's what he calls the Judaizers. He's very serious with them. And then he comes to verse four in the second half of verse four. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And you've got to catch this because it's a really great picture. You don't get it as well in the English language, but in Greek, it's essentially trash talking. In the original language of the New Testament, it's, it's sort of this trash talk. So Paul's talking some smack. It's like they're getting up to play a sport and they're, they're going back and forth. He's like, you guys don't have anything compared to what I've got. And, and he's almost boasting in a way. Basically, if anyone else thinks they've got their lives together and they're right before God, I challenge you. Look at what I've got in my corner is the position he's putting himself in. And he lists seven different things that can be split up into two main categories. The first of the things is that he had received and that he didn't have anything to do with, the stuff that he'd been given. That's the first category. The second category were the things that he had worked for, his achievements, his accomplishments, And I want you guys to read these with me if you go to verse five. The first is circumcised on the eighth day. The second is of the people of Israel. The third is of the tribe of Benjamin. The fourth, a Hebrew of Hebrews. The fifth, as to the law, a Pharisee. Sixth, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And finally, seventh, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And when he comes to verse seven, and he says, whatever was to my profit, whatever was to my gain, whatever I had achieved, referencing everything he just mentioned before, all these things that I've mentioned, I consider them a loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul gives a list of these things and he says that all together they come out to one big zero, a loss. And what I think scripture is giving us both directly and indirectly is a list of the treasures of a wasted life. The first one is family heritage. We're gonna go through this list again, starting from verse five. The first thing, the first treasure of a wasted life is family heritage, heritage. Paul is destroying the argument of circumcision, which was a massive deal to the Jews. 
He's of the tribe of Benjamin. And in fact, the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe of the 12 that stayed faithful to King David when the two nations split into the southern, southern and northern tribes. Saul was also the first king of Israel, and so he has the same name because Benjamin was of the descendants of Saul. So it's a really big deal to be of the tribe of Benjamin. You're number one. So that's the first thing, the, the second treasure of a, of a wasted life. And I know I've got all these numbers. Hopefully I'm not confusing you. But again, from this list from verse five is social status. Again, talking about the tribe of Benjamin, maybe you don't know much about them. They were very prestigious. You were at the pinnacle of Jewish life if you were a part of the tribe of Benjamin, largely because of the things that I just said before about them. The third is biblical knowledge. And you have to be really careful with this because I have to be really careful with this because I'm not at all saying that biblical knowledge isn't important. In fact, I'm not saying that any of these things aren't important. What we're gonna get to are they your, where your ultimate treasure lies. Biblical knowledge in this day, the Pharisees were very well respected. And again, I wanna be careful with my comparisons, but I think of someone like a Dr. Young, our, our pastor, whose knowledge and wisdom of the Bible exceeds probably anyone that I know. Just incredible wealth of knowledge and time spent, a life dedicated to ministry. This is the kind of people that we, I think would probably be the best comparison to someone in the past, someone to the extent of a Pharisee. And again, please don't quote me. I'm not saying Dr. Young is a Pharisee. That would not go well for me. Um, anyways, they know the law backwards and forwards. They, they really understand. They've, they've spent their life learning and understanding God's word and his law. So biblical knowledge, the fourth is religious activity. There's this, this people, Paul was just a zealous member of Judaism. Saul, whose name was Paul, was there at the first Christian martyr, uh, the death of the first Christian martyr. In, incredible, just all throughout the New Testament, I don't have time to go over it all, but his religious activity was just incredibly zealous and we'd get a taste of that in, in the New Testament. And then fifthly, a, a moral lifestyle. He says, you, you could treasure that too, but look at mine. I've been faultless. I've been blameless. I've done the right thing since I was very young. If you were a Pharisee from the age of five, they groomed you to become a religious leader in that society. So from a young age, Paul, Saul, who became Paul, was incredibly religious and zealous for the Lord, or so he thought. And every single one of those are, are good things. Again, family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, a moral lifestyle. Like I said, none of those are, are bad in and of themselves. And it wasn't these bad things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. In fact, it was these good things. And that's kind of the point I want to hit home with you. Do you catch the gravity of what's being said here? Paul is saying, the Bible is telling us, you can take your family to church. You can have a good reputation in society. You can know every single verse in the whole Bible. You can be a very good, decent, moral person. It's possible to have every single one of those things and to come to the end of your life and to have written across the top, wasted, zero. Parker, if those are the treasures of the wasted life, then what does count? I'm glad you asked because Paul comes to the end of this list. He groups them all together and he says, they're one loss compared to one thing. And that one thing is the surpassing worth, greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. 
the only treasure of the life that counts is Christ, says Paul, says God's word. Christ is the decisive difference. And he keeps going. If you look at verses seven and eight, you see that they're parallel. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of Christ. And he keeps going through verse 11. He's redundant. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse nine, that I may have the righteousness from God. He wants Christ. Do you get the flavor of what Paul is after, the treasure of the life that counts? Verse 10, I want the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to be like him in his death. Over and over again, Paul says that Christ is far better than all the good things of the world piled together. They pale in comparison to his greatness. The only treasure of the life that counts is Christ. Can we step back and realize what scripture is trying to teach us? To be a Christ follower, according to to Philippians chapter three, means that we discover that Jesus Christ is a treasure chest of holy joy. Holy joy. And we take everything else and everyone else in our lives and we write over the top of them loss in terms of our ultimate treasure. Everything, everyone, the most cherished family relationships, our reputation, even the good things religion says that we need to do, our morality, all of it, we write one big word in capital letters over the top of it, loss. It's what scripture teaches us to do. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that in verse eight. Would you read it with me? For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is a very interesting word in the original language of the New Testament, rubbish. It can be translated as useless waste or rejected matter. Don't think I have to go super far into that, but trash, dung, waste, Here's why this is so big for you and and for me. Because this kind of Christianity is radically different than what is being celebrated in America today. And I'm not naive enough to believe that the kind of Christianity that Paul talks about here is different from the kind of faith that some of you have. But I, I just take a step back and I think of my own life and I think of the people that surround me. We have Wonderful, beautiful families, nice cars in the parking lot, nice homes to go home to, the nicest high schools for our children and our students to go to in the Memphis area, the nicest colleges in comparison to the rest of the world, all of these really, really beautiful blessings from God, really good things. But Paul says it's all a loss in the context of this chapter. It's all rubbish, it's all waste based on the authority of God and his word. Romans 14, 12 says that everyone will give an account before God of their lives. Everyone will give an account before God. That at the end of your life, when you die, you're gonna stand before God one day. And I don't want you to get there and to be surprised or to be shocked. And God doesn't want us to either, which is why this chapter is here. 
Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You stand before the Lord one day to give an account for your life and you hear the words just as Jesus said to these people, Lord, didn't we go to church? Didn't we serve? Did we not lead good lives? Did we not have a good reputation? Do we not know and read the Bible? Do we not do these things and stand before the standards of the culture around us? And the reality is God takes it very seriously and he's gonna write wasted, loss, zero over the top of some people's lives. Those are the many treasures of the wasted life if they're first. Oh, that God would help us to get a hold of this. These treasures are subtly deceptive. They mask true spiritual condition. The question I wanna ask every single person in the room, maybe it's the 100th time you've been asked this, get through all the rubbish, get through all the things that don't matter. The question is, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Don't let all the other thoughts come in of, well, I've got this and this and this and I've prayed this and I've signed this card and I've, do you know Christ? Those other things aren't the questions scripture gives us. Do you know Christ? Is he the treasure chest of holy joy around which everything in your life revolves? So that everything in this life and in this world, pale in comparison to him. In Christ, we have found something worth losing everything for, right? Those of you who have walked with the Lord longer than I have know that to be true. We have found something worth losing everything for. That's what our text said in verse eight. It's not just Paul talking here, it's Jesus. There's a parallel passage from Matthew 16, verse 24 through 25 says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What a radical statement. Jesus, again, Matthew 13, two little short parables, two little pictures. They're short, but they're so thick. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. It's like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything, all that he has to buy the field. Next parable, right after that, verse by verse, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. You might write in the margins next to that in Matthew 13, we have found something worth losing everything for. This is a core truth of what it means to be a Christ follower, to find a treasure of value that is so infinitely great, of surpassing greatness. That's the redundant language in the New Testament and in Philippians 3. Something so infinitely wonderful and infinitely beautiful that even the best things this life has to offer, I lose them. I risk them. I sacrifice them for his sake. 
This is the cry of men and women throughout biblical history. Moses, Joseph, Job, David. You might not really see yourself in one of those major key roles from scripture, one of those main characters. So I wanna share one with you of someone who's maybe a little less known. And it's in Philippians chapter two. If you just go back from where we were reading one chapter, Philippians two, starting at verse 25, I'd love for you to see it with me. Philippians 2, 25 through 30 says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. You ever heard of him? I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Do you love those words? And your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only to him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Why would Epaphroditus do that? Why would he risk his life? Because Epaphroditus knew the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He realized this isn't really a gamble at all. I'm not really risking my life at all because of Christ's greatness. Anything is worth losing, even my life. New Testament, biblical Christianity holds on to nothing in this world. Whenever it comes to holding on to something of this world or Christ, we always choose Christ. Do you have that kind of perspective? Or do you have the kind of perspective that says, I'm going to have Christ and these treasures? That's what the Judaizers were doing. Paul called them dogs, mutilators of the flesh. We'll follow Jesus, but we'll do this and this and this and this, and we'll have some of this. I know Jesus, but we'll have some of this. And Paul enters the scene and he says, That's all rubbish. That's all trash. That's not the gospel of Christ. You take away everything from me. You do anything to me, and I've got Christ, so I'm good. God, help us to risk it all and to stop playing games with the surpassing worth and greatness of knowing Christ. How are we ever going to impact people with the gospel if we hold on to our comforts and our social status and our friends, even our biblical knowledge? We won't do it. We won't impact anyone. We'll bruise them. How are we ever going to accomplish the great commission like that? We want to gain Christ, amen? We want to know him completely and we want the world to see that he is a treasure of lasting value, of surpassing worth. And you can take anything from us and we'll be pleased with just our savior. That's much bigger than any of those things, isn't it? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reality of your word. And I, Lord, I just ask as the youngest person in this room, the person who may have walked with the Lord the the least amount of time, that 
your word would speak so much louder than me and I need this just, I need this message just as much as anyone else. I'm sitting under the authority of your word and come before you and confess, Lord, I have focused so much of my life on treasures that have no lasting value, that have so much rubbish, they're, they're just trash compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so, Lord, I, I cling to your forgiveness. I cling to you in faith, asking for true repentance in my heart and, and the hearts of those here. You don't just leave us to ourselves. You have come. You have saved us by the power of Christ on the cross. And so, Lord, we thank you for that redemption. We praise you. Even as believers, God, we, we tend to sway we sing that song, we're, we're prone to wander. We just go so back and forth and it's the battle of the flesh and the spirit. And Lord, I just pray for all of us here today, this morning, that you would grant us the power to put Satan at bay, that, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that our focus would be on you and on your kingdom coming and your will being done in our lives and the great commission being accomplished. So would you renew our spirit in that? Would we have a fresh aroma of Christ, a fresh taste of him that we would taste and see that you, Lord Jesus, are good and are better than anything in this world? That is what will motivate us to living a life worthy of the calling of Christ. So we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.